Hi, I'm Greg from Omaha. I'm Michael from Baltimore. Hey, I'm Dave from Portland, Oregon. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the veteran comedy writer Phil Rosenthal. His first job was writing for the spectacularly improbable Robert Mitchum sitcom, but he managed to parlay that into a long career in television writing, including being the creator and longtime head writer of Everybody Loves Raymond. Now, his new documentary film, which he also wrote and directed, is called Exporting Raymond. It's the story of how he brought Raymond to the great nation of Russia. Let's take a listen to a clip from the movie. Uh, This is the chairman of Sony explaining why translating this sitcom to Russia might be a good idea. Phil is uh, finishing up with the show. He's trying to think about what to do next. And we, he came over, and I think we had lunch, or he just came over to my office, I can't remember which. It turned into a, into a conversation about making television shows and sitcoms in Russia. Nanya, Russia. That's the nanny. The nanny. All right, and that's the... Uh, wow. Okay. Argentina, Mexican nanny. The nanny in Indonesia. Really? Chile. This is a universal phenomenon. The, phenomenon. The, the nanny. As skilled as Phil is and as much part of, you know, the television landscape as he is here in the United States, we sort of thought, gee, wouldn't it be great to see whether we can make Raymond over there? Phil Rosenthal, welcome to The Sound of Young America. It's great to have you. Nice to be heard by Young America. Hello. Um, So I'm going to get into Russia in a minute, but I want to start with uh, God's United States. What did you see as the essential elements of the success of Everybody Loves Raymond? Like, what were the, what were the tent poles of that show? Uh, well, f- the number one tent pole of anything has to be, if you're on TV or in movies or even a radio show, has to be entertaining. That's the number one thing. Now, there's different kinds of entertainment. It could, it could be, if we're talking about comedy, it could be big and broad. It could be silly. It could be, you know, very subtle. It, to me, and... I realized these are my values that I discovered while doing the show was that it be relatable. And so that I had one rule, and that was, could this happen, right? Because we all know the shows that break that rule every two seconds. You don't believe anything that happens. And so you're, you're, if, you, if you live by that rule of anything can happen, you're only as good as your last joke. And so it, it, it never connects emotionally with the audience. Now, this just happens to be my taste, my values. I love the shows that came before us. The Honeymooners, Dick Van Dyke, All in the Family, the uh, uh, Mary Tyler Moore Show, Taxi. All these shows had this in common. They all took place on planet Earth. You know what I mean? Everything that happened in those shows, almost everything I'll say, could happen in real life. And so you felt a connection, a relatability to not just the characters, but the situations, which if you're doing your job, the situation in a sitcom comes from character. In other words, if Ralph Cramden is a certain way, wouldn't it be funny if this happened to him? That's the basic uh, premise of what we do. So 
this was a show, and and if I if I remember the story correctly, and it was years ago that I remember hearing this, that was essentially built around Ray Romano. That Ray Romano was a successful stand-up comic, and. Yes. Um, went on the went on the Letterman show. Letterman was like, "This guy's a brilliant genius. Uh, we need to sign him to a deal." Um, and then everybody loves Raymond was built around Ray His Romano's life. life and talent. So it's true. W- what were the things that you saw about Ray Romano um, that were special that you could build a show around? Uh, he had a funny take on life. You know, he had a funny way of saying things, and he had a kind of a brilliant mind for, uh, for expressing it. Uh, we sat at a deli on Ventura Boulevard in our first meeting. And as I would say to you, if we went to lunch, so tell me about yourself, where you're from, if we just met. So he says, well, I have twin boys and an older daughter, and my parents live close by, and they're always bothering me, and I have an older brother who lives with them. He's a divorced police sergeant, and he touches every bite of food to his chin first before he eats it, and he's kind of jealous of me. In fact, he saw a uh, stand-up comedy award that I won, and he said, it never ends for Raymond. Everybody (laughs) loves Raymond. And I said, well, there doesn't seem like there's anything there we could use. (laughs) No, I realized that's the show. Why not? I didn't know what to make it. He didn't either. We had no idea for what the show would be. In fact, he liked Seinfeld very much. He was wondering if he could do a show like that. Now, I couldn't do a show like that because I don't know how to do a show like that. Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld did a brilliant job of doing a show like that. But Ray said, can't we sit in the diner? Can't we just talk about the things that happen in the day? And I said, I really am the wrong guy because I really don't know how to do that. But why don't we take your life and since you've never acted before, surround you with what you're comfortable with, okay? Aside from being a stand-up comedian. You can't even have that job because in 1996, it's taken already by Jerry. So make your sports writer because that lets you stay in the house and watch TV and be more male than, you know, the typical job, right? And what I didn't know about his family, what I didn't know about their personalities... I filled in with the personalities for my family. So the show is really this marriage. It, it seems like the central idea is to take absolutely normal things mm-hmm. and just kick the stakes up just enough yes. that they become absurd. Well, that, that's real life, isn't it? If we're lucky enough to not have big problems, I think it's human nature to take the little problems and make them big, right? So we make a big deal over somebody leaving the suitcase uh, on the stairs, you know? And, and not unpacking. Why is it my job? Well, I carried it in. What do you mean you carried it? So I have to, yeah, you're going to do laundry, aren't you? Why do you assume I do the laundry? So it escalates. It, it, it is a little thing that has big meaning. And I happen to love that particular episode written by Tucker Cawley, who really had that happen to him, this thing about the suitcase. And it was called baggage. And it even has the built-in message of baggage right why don't we hear a little bit of that episode of everybody loves raymond which ray and his wife are fighting over who will take care of the luggage from a vacation that's sitting on the stairs at the back of the set ray you gotta leave soon are you gonna get ready yes (laughs) yes i am what was that about? It's all right, Deb. You don't need to pretend with me. I know all about the suitcase. What do you mean? I know about your little Mexican standoff. I don't know what you're talking about. Ah, forget about it. Hey, 
Looks like Ray forgot to take the suitcase with him. You ought to bring it up. He had three weeks. Why did they go that thing? Three weeks. At first I thought he was just clueless, but if he talked to you about it, he knew what he was doing. Well, aren't you doing the same thing? No, this is completely different. I have to do everything around this house. If I don't do it, it doesn't get done. Well, that's because... Now, take it easy. That's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Phil Rosenthal, the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. His new documentary, Exporting Raymond, is about trying to turn the show into a Russian sitcom. When Everybody Loves Raymond grew from the typical fledgling sitcom into a super mega giant hit sitcom, it, it, you as the, as the um, you know, creative boss of this show, I mean, like, along with Ray Romano to some extent, um, were presumably by like year six making enough money so that you could just retire if you wanted to. And you ended the show after the ninth season, I believe, and, and it was a truncated ninth season essentially because you felt like you had told the stories that were in your bag of tricks yeah when you did that what were you gonna do like did you have a plan for what the next thing was gonna be or is it just gonna be my ties or you need to as a performer get off the stage before somebody else says hey you should get off the stage which is why i'm ending this radio show right now (laughs) but but no i think i think that you that's part of the performance is the ending right so we had a series we all know the shows that stayed too long right I didn't want that. It must be a hard call to make it when it's so many people's jobs. It's so many people's jobs. But, you know, nine years of employment is, is a, a, a gift in this world, you know, uh, on, a sh- on, a, on a television show. Yes. My parents were upset. Everybody was upset. But it was time to go. And Your I, father was actually in the show from time to time. So I imagine he was pretty disappointed that his Hollywood run was ending. It's hard to cost your dad a job, right? <laughs> but Ray's dad also, they, we, you know, we paired them up together because they really deserved each other. But, but uh, we, loved, we loved it, loved it, loved it. And we loved the audience. The audience was so receptive, so beautiful to us, so sweet to us that we felt we owed it to them to stop before we became lousy. And that was it. We didn't have a plan. We just knew that we couldn't do this anymore. Now, yes, we had certainly had enough financial success not to worry about what was next, but I do worry because I enjoy working. (laughs) I had a meeting with an executive soon after, uh, a television executive who shall remain nameless, uh, Ben Silverman, who said (laughs) in the middle of the pitch that I was making over lunch, he stopped me and he said, why are you still doing this? I said, what do you mean? He goes, why are you, why are you pitching a show to me? Why, why would you need to pitch a show? I said, what do you mean? Why? It's what I do. Why do you do what you do? I was a little offended. People think that because you hit the jackpot, you should sit around and eat bonbons all day. Well, that's nice for a week and a half, but then you want to work. You really, it really sounds like your idea of what to do after um, you made a quadrillion dollars making one of the more successful television programs. I have programs to ask my accountant time. if there's still quadrillion left. Well, you got to take taxes. Yeah. So then you got 0. 0.7 quadrillion. They take the jillion part, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it was just to just do everything that you could think of. Is that how you ended up getting involved in a project of translating Everybody Loves Raymond into the Russian market? Well, that, that actually wasn't my idea. The head of Sony called me in his office uh, with a movie idea. He said the, Sony created the sitcom business in Russia. The, the sitcom did not exist in Russia until Sony brought the nanny, the American version of the nanny, over there to be translated, cast with Russian actors, and put on Russian television as their first sitcom. Okay, So the Russians that came to work on that show came from all these disparate backgrounds. They came from sketch shows, which existed on prime time there. They came from nighttime soap operas. Why soap operas? Because they were also a half hour. That was the criteria. <laughs> You've worked on a half-hour show? Here, work on this half-hour show. It doesn't matter that it, this is now a completely... It was essentially a matter of endurance in time so. terms. You understand a half-hour. You work over here now. And, and variety shows and other things. Even the world of science, they came to, <laughs> uh, to work on the show. The head of comedy, I think you meet him in the movie, uh, used to work with laser beams. Okay? So that makes him an expert. Anyway, the head of Sony says to me... Uh, how would you like to go over there, observe how we do this, this business over there, and then come back and write a fictional feature film, fictional, about a showrunner who goes over there to have his show translated? And I said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. But if the situation exists and the people that you're talking about really do exist, why not bring a camera crew over and film what really happens? And he thought for a second. He goes, oh, I love that idea. And he goes, would you be the guy? I said, yeah, I want to make that movie. He goes, no, no, make your movie, but do your show over there. Be in the movie. So like an idiot, I said yes, because then I had to go. When we come back, the trials and tribulations inherent in trying to bring this top American sitcom to Russia. More with Phil Rosenthal after a break. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, publishers of John Waters' latest book, Role Models, now in paperback. Role Models is a self-portrait told through profiles of Waters' favorite personalities, some famous, some unknown, some criminal, some surprisingly middle of the road. Available now. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Phil Rosenthal, creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. His new documentary, Exporting Raymond, is about trying to turn the show into a Russian sitcom. Here's a clip from the documentary. It includes feedback from a number of Russian men and women on the street. The chats reveal that maybe the premise of the show might not translate into Russian at all. Raymond as a character in America is a very soft guy and that's the problem with Russian guys there is a little bit more of a machoism if you will so he maybe needs to be a little bit more you know Russian the main problem of Raymond uh, in Russia people will not interested in uh, the relationship between uh, family and their parents I think uh, we will uh, we need uh, to make fun in something else I think it's my mind they're not interested in the family and the parents. They don't have families and parents. The challenge was I was going to be the first creator of a show to go over there and try to help them see this new kind of show for them, reality-based, naturalistic, relatable, could-this-happen sitcom. So 
that's the movie <laughs> trying to trying to document trying to help them did you believe that that, that this format that has been developed and refined in this specific American context over the course of the past, I guess at this point, 60 years. Yeah, since, yeah, um, 1950. Was something that would automatically work in a context where there wasn't that 60 years of history? Who knows? I don't know. I, I, I had to assume... Because we were already dubbed and subtitled in lots of countries, like 148 countries were dubbed or subtitled. So it, to me, it seemed to be relatable. And why wouldn't it be? Just it's about a family. And don't we all have families all over the world? Don't we have parents that annoy us? Don't we have a, a brother that we might be jealous of? Don't we have a wife that, you know, is the boss in the house? Right. So why not? So I was I, I thought, why not? Why wouldn't it work? And then you see the movie, and you see it's not so easy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when you arrived, uh, things were already somewhat underway. They were casting, and there was a, 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 a script, right? There was like a translated script they that took they were my casting pilot. from. They took the pilot that I wrote, and they, they did translate it, and they just naturally assumed uh, since they have to make a pilot to sell to the Russian network, why not start with my pilot? But I thought, why start with the pilot? The show only got better as it went along, as it should. Uh, you have the entire 210-episode canon of Everybody Loves Raymond to pick your sample from, so why not do that? Especially if they were going to take one of the essential scenes in the pilot, which was the Fruit of the Month Club scene, uh, which really happened to me, by the way. My my sent. Briefly, I sent my parents Fruit of the Month as a gift, and they reacted as if I had sent them a box of heads from a murderer. <laughs> uh, my mother got very upset that this would keep coming every month. She couldn't deal with it. She actually said, I, ca I can't talk anymore. There's too much fruit in the house. Okay? So I put that in the pilot script of Everybody Loves Raymond to demonstrate just how crazy Ray's parents are. I had no idea that to this day I would still be getting letters from places like Sri Lanka, that's my mother. That, we had the same thing with the fruit. What were the things that when you, when you brought them this thing that was like complete? I mean, hundreds, you know, you did nine 210. seasons. 200 episodes. What? 210. Don't shortchange me. 210 Over 200 episodes. episodes. Yes. Why can't um, you say 210? What's wrong with I you? I was just going to the... <laughs> I was going to, to the... I was rounding. Okay, you can We're round. taught in radio to round when possible. 210 is a nice round number. You it? want to get it down to at least... To one digit is the best number We did to one episode. To. You say, okay. Okay. <laughs> um... So when you when you brought this to these people that w who were sort of a motley collection of uh, of people from the Russian entertainment industry who had never done a strictly traditional sitcom because no one had in Russia, um, what were the elements of it that you could see right away were uh, missing or confused or different? Well, let's take that fruit of the month thing for example. I stupidly didn't realize that they don't have fruit of the month in Russia. So they naturally changed it to water of the week. <laughs> now, I'm sorry. They do have water in Russia. They have water, and, and I don't think there is such a thing as water of the week either. 
But they had a jug of water like you would see a sparklets jug, you know, like we all have in the office, delivered to his mother every uh, week. And they changed the lines to reflect that. Why So much water, why do I need all this water? Okay. I'm sorry, but it's just not as funny as fruit. It's no longer a joke, essentially. Like, it's just a weird thing. And so they're not laughing. And they're thinking, looking at me, this guy ain't funny. Look what he wrote. Well, I didn't write that water. <laughs> I wrote, you know, I, you want to be you want to be judged on the proper translation, right? I mean, if they if they if they still think it's not funny with the fruit, okay, then I'm a bad writer. But don't don't judge me on your mistranslation or your change of what it was, right? So that was part of the problem too. They also seemed uncomfortable with basic tenets of the sitcom. Uh, for example, you know the fact that a, a sitcom is essentially uh, is essentially a stage production uh, with an audience and multiple cameras that at are least ours there. Was. Yeah, yeah. The the, the 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 vast majority. It's changed yeah. to some extent right. recently, but since you know Ricky Ricardo decided to <laughs> put put three cameras in the Desi Lu studio, Desi Arnaz, yes. Um, they, uh, you know, it, that has been the way that sitcoms have been made, and that was a part of the basis of your show. That type of sitcom, yes. We all know that now. There's single camera sitcoms. Sure. There always have been, but what they wanted to do was kind of this weird hybrid of having three or four cameras filming without an audience as if it was a, a, a strange movie that they were doing still presented as if there was an audience in other words in a proscenium type style not realistically like single camera as if it was a movie but oddly that way with no audience and then they would put the laughs in later canned laughter this to me is anathema i don't like that i don't think most audience people like it but it is cheaper, and it's faster for them. And by the way, a lot of American shows are now adapting this process of, of the cheapest possible way to do stuff. You knew this world that you had created you know, with, this, with your creative team so well. Yeah. And you were there, essentially, to serve as a guide to that world that you knew so well. You were like a living... Um, you know, you were like a living show Bible for Star Trek, you know, like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like a sci-fi show that yeah. has a, that yeah. has a big, a big list of things. Yeah. And anytime they need to check whether, what kind of guns Romulans use. It's as if I was a tribble that had been there. And, <laughs> um, and you seem to, at least as it's presented in the film, have approached your job as, when you got there as being essentially a corrector and Man, that's no fun and it seems like yeah it seems like that um you know it was it was you know the setup it's a tough setup <laughs> yeah. but um it it seems like uh, you realized that that role was uh pushing you further from the creative people that were making this show right. rather than bringing you closer to them that they weren't looking at you as a valuable resource but rather as a person who told them when they were wrong Yes, and I don't know if it's their fault or Sony's fault for presenting what my job was going to be over there, both mis misrepresenting uh, the job to them and to me. And now we're thrown together. In, uh, you know, to me, the movie's a joke on me that uh, I think I'm an expert and I go to a land where nobody cares, right? Which is essentially what happened. 
they have their way of doing it. Look, they, they said to me when I, when I was asking, what, the, what is this, you know, this brushback I'm getting from? Why aren't they, um, um, I don't need to be treated like a, like a god or anything, but I do know the show that I made for nine years, right? Why don't they want the input? Uh, and it was explained like this. Maybe the Russians are coming from a little bit of a, of a place of humiliation, having lost the Cold War to us. That's just a fact. The last thing these people want is some American know-it-all coming over and telling them what to do. So it's not that they didn't understand. Maybe they don't want to understand, right? So maybe that's some of the problem that I had. It feels. It felt, as I was watching it, almost like a, almost like a colonialist story. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't want to put too too the, no. make the themes too grand, right? But it it felt like a story of um, of having to understand that the difference between the universal elements of culture and culture, and specifically Western culture, and specifically American culture. Yeah, there being are these universal. Layers. There are these layers, obviously, and you could definitely look at it that way. But because it's not that heavy, it's, it plays like a comedy. Right. Right. What did, what, did you ha- what did you have to learn in order for this operation to become a success? How did you have to change your own perspective well, on we, the situation? You know, who knows if it became a success? I'm, I'm not going to give away the end of the movie. Right, because it's it's the only story tension we have is did this work or not work? Right? Okay, well the movie is a tragedy. We should clarify that the movie is a tragedy. It ends with everyone committing suicide. Um, uh, when you are jilted me, in matters of it. love, I thought about it actually, yeah. but uh, I I didn't know what to expect going over. I really didn't. I had no idea what I was going to get. That's part of the fun of making a documentary. Is is you, you have to get lucky. People say, did you know it would be so funny? I really didn't. Well, what if they didn't do this? What if they didn't give you this? What if I said, I, I guess it would have been less funny, the movie. I thought it's an interesting situation, so you got to make this movie. But I didn't know the Russians would be so wonderful there. I didn't know my parents would be so funny. What about in terms of making, in terms of making the show? Yeah. It seems like you, your, your approach to your role changes. How did it change? You have to let go. That's every, That's with everything. Just like with your kids. You know, you raise your kids to be, you know, your ideal. You want you instill, try to instill in them values. And then they, they have to be free to go off and, and disappoint you. Sitcom families uh, have kids. They always have kids. Yes. Um, and one of the central elements of Everybody Loves Raymond is that those kids were almost completely incidental to the show. I wouldn't say incidental, but we didn't want to make a show about kids. We didn't want to make Full House. The kids don't. The kids almost never, almost never speak. I mean, relative to another sitcom in yes, this, we wanted in this to do genre. a show about adults who had kids, not about the kids. So yes, there were the occasional episodes that did revolve around the kids, and you saw them at least once an episode. You see that we have. You're kids, aware that they're there, but our stories are taking place. They in say, the adult world. They say very little in, in adorable, lispy voices. We don't want that. We don't want the adorableness. Now, one of the differences between Russian Everybody Loves Raymond yes. and uh, American Everybody Loves Raymond yes. is that they added kid subplots. They like kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like him too. But I, I said that in the episode that they chose to be their pilot, it featured the kids. It was one of the rare ones that we did that featured the kids. And I said, you know, it's kind of misrepresenting the thing. And they, I said, why are we using this one? And they said, the network likes kids. And I said, but what happens, you know, if the show should get picked up? Well, we'll put more kids in. So that gives me a little agita because I don't want the show changed so much to be about that. But at a certain point, you have to let go. I think that everyone who works is, who who works and, and makes a decent living in the entertainment industry feels lucky to be in the entertainment industry. Um, or the very many people. Um, <laughs> You're feel thinking that of way. the people who don't act lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the vast majority of people, I think, who, you know, have a job writing on a television show or whatever. Yes. They're ex- they, they wake up and they say, like, man, I can't believe I get to make money working on television. I get shows. to go and laugh with my friends. Um, but there's a really wonderful scene in the film where you connect for the first time with the writers who right on this Russian version of your show. And it really drives home the gravity of their situation and the kind of relative scale of their situation to yours as an American television writer. I wonder if you could tell me about that. Sure. Well, I thought they were being obstinate. I thought that they didn't want to get our show or didn't get our show and had no interest in our show, really. They were going to do what they wanted to do, but... come to realize, like, like everything else, uh, pretty quickly that it's not their attitude, it's they're exhausted. Why? Because the sitcom just started in Russia, and there's a handful of guys who have been trained or know anything about how to write one. And so they work on three, sometimes four sitcoms at once, and they get maybe four hours sleep a night, and it's not high-paying the way it is in America. Look, the, the budget for an American sitcom half hour is one to two million dollars, right? Now that's when you start. When you when if the show is successful, you know actor salaries go through the roof, and it, you can double, triple that for per episode. Okay, millions. The entire budget for a Russian half-hour sitcom, all in actor salaries above the line, below the line, crew, craft service, the food, everything, eighty thousand dollars. And I have to say, it looks it. You know, I'm not disparaging. That's it you get what you pay for that's it you know it actually some of it looks like it was filmed in our basement with the home video camera and it's not too far from that really but this is what they're used to this is what they're doing and so these writers they don't make a lot of money and they actually have to take these many jobs the actors too they run from job to job trying to just make ends meet it's very difficult how do you feel like the experience of spending this time in a world where your um, signature look of wide-eyed amazement is frequently <laughs> and superbly utilized? Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, uh, I've never been complimented on that before. It's very flattering. You look like a deer in the headlights all the time. Um, how do you feel that changed you in are there things that you learned in that experience that have changed what you do here uh i think i learned something about people you know the no that you get creatively is the same in every language just the just the uh, accent is different right there were times when i'd shake my fist and say those russians you know <laughs> but it wasn't those russians it was those executives 
right? It was those business people. They're the same everywhere. When I would be, you know, pulling my hair out over there, you meet the same humorless heads of comedy here as you do there, right? It's just, just the accent. You're eating borscht instead of a sandwich when they say no to you, <laughs> right? And I, I, you know, there's things like the costume designer in Russia who actually was challenging me on what the show should be about. In our first production meeting, she thought that the show should literally be used to teach the Russian population about high fashion. And they should dress up very nice, and they should wear evening clothes around the house. And even deeper, that it should be an aspirational show, essentially. That, that yes, this should, and, and we should, I said, but she's cleaning the house. Why would she be wearing an evening gown? And the answer was because she's on television. And I said, yes, but the character doesn't know she's on television. She thinks she's in a kitchen. So this was what we had to deal with. <laughs> That's just the beginning. Well, Phil, thank you so much for taking the time to be on The Sound of Young America. I love being on The Sound of Young America. I wish I was more young for you, but this is what you get. You know that's going to be that log line that's going to go up on all our posters. I love being on The Sound of Young America! Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Phil Rosenthal, creator of Everyone, Everybody Loves Raymond. Okay, that's fine. Over 200 episodes. Damn it. Phil Rosenthal is the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. His new documentary, Exporting Raymond, is about trying to turn the show into a Russian sitcom. It's in theaters now. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our music is provided to us by Dan Wally, our producer, Julia Smith, our editor, Nick White. Our intern on the show is Lindsay Palmer. If you have thoughts about the show, you can share them on our forum at forum.maximumfun.org, or you can just email them to me. This is my actual email address, jesse at maximumfun.org. You can get all of our shows absolutely 100% for free in iTunes or on our website, MaximumFun.org. And when I say all of our shows, I mean not just every Sound of Young America, but also our comedy shows like Jordan, Jesse, Go, My Brother, My Brother and Me, Stop Podcasting Yourself, and even Judge John Hodgman. It's all online at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter, Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.